Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 17th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. And good evening, I'm William Hosea. Colin Powell was an American statesman, diplomat, and four-star general who served as the 65th United States Secretary of State from 2001 to 2005. He was the first African-American Secretary of State. He served as the 16th United States National Security Advisor from 1987 to 1989, and as the 12th Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff from 1989 to 1993. He was also a professional soldier for 35 years, during which time he held many command and staff positions and rose to the rank of four-star general. He was Commander of the U.S. Army Forces Command in 1989. General Powell's last military assignment from October 1989 to September 1993 was, as William said, as Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman, the highest military position in the Department of Defense. And during this time, he oversaw 28 crises, uh, including the invasion of Panama in 1989 and Operation Desert Storm and the Persian Gulf War against Iraq in 1990-1991. He formulated the Powell Doctrine which limits American military action unless it satisfies criteria regarding American national security interests, overwhelming force, an exit strategy, and widespread public support. Powell won numerous U.S. and foreign military awards and decorations. His civilian awards included the Presidential Medal of Freedom, twice, the Congressional Gold Medal, the Presidential Citizens Medal, and the Secretary's Distinguished Service Award. Powell, who was being treated for blood cancer that affects immune system, died from complications of COVID-19 on October 18, 2021. He was married for 59 years to the former Alma Johnson. They had three children. We are fortunate to have two distinguished retired service personnel who are here to share their reflections on the life and impact of Secretary Colin Powell. The first is Dr. Clifford Stanley, former Undersecretary of Defense for Personnel and Readiness, who is a retired Major General with the United States Marine Corps. And joining him is retired Major General Craig Q. Timberlake of the United States Marine Corps, who enjoyed a highly successful and distinguished 41-year career with the Marine Corps. He has been a frequent guest on our show. And with these introductions, gentlemen, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, again, we are, we're really honored to have you both on. And, of course, uh, General Timberlake, um, your seat hasn't grown cold at all on our show, and that you've been a recurring guest on, on very weighty, weighty matters, and we always enjoy your insight and uh, your candidness about the state of our society, um, the state of politics, and you've always weighed in, and we enjoyed all your contributions. I, I just wanted to lead off uh, by saying that we all were sad to hear the passing of su- such a, an outstanding leader, gentleman, uh, humble individual, and 
we all just had to take a pause out of all that's going on this past week. And we've seen the headlines and news. That was the one news bit that be your, be your Republican or Democrat, you would think that that would just have you just take a pause and recollect on a gentleman's life. If, if you both can sum up the impact that he had on your lives, and of course, then we'll go into other aspects of General Powell's life or Secretary Powell's life. But Dr. Clifford, we'll, we'll start with you. Uh, Dr. Clifford Stanley, we'll start with you. If you could reflect on uh, State Sec- Secretary of State Powell's life, uh, then we could begin. Sure. I, I'm honored. Well, first of all, I, I met him, um, um, first of all, as a, when I was in the National War College. That was about uh, 1987, 88 mm-hmm. time frame. Um, obviously, I was one of many students, but I was in awe uh, in meeting him uh, because I knew about him already. Uh, but the following year, I was selected to be a White House fellow. So as soon as I finished that year in National War College, I was a White House fellow. He was a White House fellow. And so I had an opportunity to meet him up close, personal, and have, you know, like lots of conversations with him. And that started a relationship because um, the year after the White House Fellows Tour, I went to the Pentagon. And in the Pentagon, I was working with Michael Powell, who's General Powell's son. He takes me down. General Powell remembers me. I'm getting promoted to colonel. And it just sort of started from there. He um, was someone that I could call anytime. In fact, when we had the meeting, we had a fall officers gathering a couple of weeks ago. That was all general, black, African-American, general flag officers and all the services. We meet annually. And usually when, you know, when we when we met in person, I would sit at General Powell's table with him, with my wife, that kind of thing. And he wasn't there. And I was kind of wondering why he wasn't there. I thought he was busy. No big deal. But, you know, the bottom line is that, you know, of course, now we've learned that he was not healthy or well. Um, but I also ran a business. And uh, when I retired from the Marine Corps in Minnesota, General Powell loved to help youth. And because of our relationship, I could call on him anytime, meet with him anytime. And he always made time to meet with me. I don't want to talk too much, but I care a lot for him. And he made everyone feel just like I felt. So it wasn't like I was special. It was that was the way he was with people in general. He cared about people. Thank you for that. And uh, General Timberlake, can you chime in and share your reflections? Sure. And and before I uh, share those reflections, I'd like to just take a moment and say thank you, Clarence and Williams, for inviting me back. I always get a chance to learn something when I'm on this show. And today I feel like it's a special treat for me because I'm really going to learn from one of the masters. I've got to tell you that. Uh, if you look at General Powell's career and you look at General Stanley's career, you'll see a lot of parallelisms, okay? A lot of times that they were the first in doing something, and I'm not going to uh, steal his thunder because he can tell you about his career a little bit later on if we go that, down that road, but I will tell you this. When you talk about General Cliff Stanley, okay, he is an icon amongst the Marine officers. Uh, General Stanley started out his career, for those that don't know, as, as a logistician. Okay, as a supply officer, and then he became an infantry officer. That's unheard of, unparalleled in the Marine Corps, because people just don't do that. In the Marine Corps, we have a lot of pilots and a lot of infantry officers. And when we have too many pilots or too many infantry officers, we turn them into logisticians or communicators or intelligence officers. But we never go the other way around and take one of those MOSs and one of those jobs and train, train them to be infantry officers. We simply just don't do that. General Stanley not only did that, but was so successful at doing that, that he rose to be a colonel of the infantry and he commanded a Marine infantry regiment. He is the first black or African-American man. And I think the only one at this time 
that has commanded a Marine Infantry Regiment. In particular, he commanded the 1st Marine Infantry Regiment. And to Marines, that's very, very dear because it is, in fact, the 1st Marine Infantry Regiment. So I don't think you could have got a better guest on than General Stanley to discuss the legacy of, of General Powell. And so I'm, I'm just happy to be here with you and to, uh, to kind of add whatever I might. But we're going to take lessons a day from the master and General Stanley. And then I would say when it, when it comes to General Powell, I, I never had the opportunity uh, to serve directly for him. Obviously, when he was a chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, all of us that were on active duty were, in fact, serving him and serving with him. But I never got a chance to serve with him and I never got an opportunity to interact with him uh, personally. However, I would say that when you're in a position like that, and especially when you are uh, a chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and you happen to be the first uh, African-American male to be the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, that's so important. That is just such a, a, a legacy uh, that he leaves for the rest of us. And uh, I, like everyone else, stood in awe of him and uh, so saddened, so, so very saddened with his passing. Thank you for that. Uh, William, I defer to you. Uh, General Stanley, I'm going to go back over to you, but like Clarence did uh, in the beginning, General Timberlake, I'd like for you to chime in also. Um, there have been several attempts to stain Colin Powell's reputation following the Iraq War, but when you think about it, out of all the uh, key players, none of them seem to have survived with the same grace and the solid legacy as Colin Powell did. And I think Clarence and I were discussing this earlier. We both agree that one of the reasons is that he completely owned up to his role and yeah. said it should never have happened. So what I want to ask is, what are your thoughts on how he navigated the post-Iraq war era and how he ultimately seemed to rise above and stay above the fray? Well, I, well first of all, again, let me also thank General Timberlake for his uh, kind words, um, because I certainly didn't expect that today, but I appreciate that, General. Um, General Powell um, rose above it because he was always above it, if, if I could say it like that. Um, it's, it's interesting because one of the things that you may or may not know, and for your listeners, uh, within the Department of Defense or within the security uh, arena, there are issues called black issues. That's not race. Those are issues that you can't talk about, that the security clearances are so high that it becomes part of the daily presidential briefing or something like that. These are issues that are pretty deep. So General Powell was briefed. Um, we don't know what we don't know. But the bottom line was is that he was convinced enough to get what he got to make the decisions that he made. People respect that. But when he realized that he made, you know, that it was the wrong call, as you've already discussed or alluded to, he stepped up to the plate and said, wrong call, made a mistake. That is the sign of a leader who is more concerned about the people he's serving, servant leadership, as opposed to focusing on power, authority, Who's looking at me? And I'm now going to even use scripture when we talk about it, because you know, view others as being more important than you are. Take do nothing out of vain conceit. You know, that's where he was coming from. That's the kind of person he was. And that's even his family that I met were the same way. General Timberlake. Sure. No, I, I'd agree with General Stanley. Uh, I, I think the term is remained because uh, he remained above the fray rather than rose above it because that's just the kind of individual, everything that I read and see indicates that he was. And you know, one of his favorite sayings was, never allow your ego to be so tied to your position that when you lose your position, you lose your ego. 
he obviously didn't have an ego. He obviously didn't lose his ego when he lost that position. It happened. He said, hey, we, we made a mistake. He was not the only one. And I say that again. He was not the only one receiving that intelligence. The decision was made and he supported the president. He did what he was supposed to do as a secretary of state. And uh, I, I think, again, he remained above the fray. He didn't dip down. He didn't go down into it. And therefore, you know, that old saying, when you, you wrestle with pigs, uh, you get muddy and the pig enjoys it. Well, he didn't do those things. And so I think, again, that just speaks to the kind of individual that he is. So he didn't really have to do any rising at all. He was already there. He was. Just He just held his position and everything worked out. You know, I find it interesting. Uh, you know, we all agreed that he owned up to it. Same thing General Milley did after that fiasco uh, at the white, outside of the White House. He owned up to it immediately. Yes. Yeah. Clarence? You muted. You muted, Clarence. Thank you, Wim. I, for those who just joined us, uh, I'm going to go ahead and do a station ID and just let you know who these distinguished voices are that you're hearing. Uh, we have with us this uh, evening retired United States Marine Corps retired uh, generals, uh, Dr. Clifford Stanley and Craig Q. Timberlake, and they're discussing uh, the, uh, the life and the impact of, of the late Secretary Colin Powell. And I read once, and I think it was his autobiography, where he almost lost his life in a helicopter crash. And a lot of people don't realize that, that he was in the thick of battle. He, he knew battle. He, he knew the fatigue of battle. He knew the, the psychology of what it means to go to battle. Gentlemen, if you, if you could just reflect on that. And then, too, as, as a service personnel, he was held to such a high standard and excelled where every little thing could be critiqued and every little thing could be a strike against you. This gentleman excelled, even though he was held at a higher standard. So perhaps if we can start with uh, Dr. Stanley and then uh, uh, Craig Timberlake. I thank you for the question. I have to smile because um, I read his book (laughs) and, and, and uh, I'm smiling because um, what he described was like my career. I mean, exactly what he described. And, I mean, and in all cases, I mean, it's like when you look at a chain of command, um, everybody in that chain of command is not going to be rotten or against you. Right. And so he was in, he was in a, a set of circumstances where even when somebody held it against him because he, they didn't they want to hold him down because of jealousy or because of whatever, there was somebody within that chain who was able to reach in and help him and make a difference because they recognize his, not only his gifts, uh, but also um, the, the future, the potential that he had. Um, yes, he'd been there. I mean, even when I was at, I was a commanding general, 29 Palms in California, you know, Marine Corps Air Ground Combat Center. That's our largest Marine Corps base, but that's where we train for combat. And I remember somebody, it was, it was just an interview for something. I don't even remember what it was, but it was, it was just an interview. Somebody interviewed me for something. And then in comes the negative, and tweeting wasn't out then, by the way, you know, but in comes the negative comments from someone saying, well, you must be like that General Colin Powell, you know, and never did anything. In other words, they, people just generally conclude what they want to conclude about a person's career or where they are or their potential. And unfortunately, because of race, ethnicity, or things they don't know, and that always seemed to loom large. I know in my career, 
didn't have time to focus on it because I had a mission. General Powell had a mission. And so you, you can't take what you have and, and stop worrying about that. You really do have to put others first. That's why I said that scripture a little while ago. Is, is that how you counsel uh, up and coming individuals in the service? Uh, those who perhaps were frustrated, ready to throw up both hands. Uh, and I could see you taking them to the side to give them some sage counsel about how to not only endure, but how to excel and thrive during what you're going through. I do. And um, well, as I've shared with you privately now, I'm an associate minister in my church. So I'll just take them right to scripture. I'll take them to Paul and that thorn in the side. I'll take them to second Corinthians chapter 12 verses nine to 10 and tell them that we all have thorns. And the bottom line is, is that when you focus on what you're supposed to be focused on, you're not going to be overly concerned about what people are saying about you. You have a job to do. And so even in my first platoon that I uh, had, and I just now small platoon is like, you know, 20, 30, 40 people. But the bottom line is, is that I was so concerned about knowing what I was supposed to know as a lieutenant that I wanted to make sure that I was ready. And then I also was humble enough to, re- you know, to understand that I didn't know everything. Guess what? Nor will I ever know everything. And so I had young Lance corporals and privates who knew maybe more about something that I would know because they did go to the communication school. They were radio experts. They were, you know, individual mortarmen who knew more about something that I did because they did it every day. I only did it in the school and, you know, knew how to lay the mortar, but these guys would do, no, 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 because of the wind, we're going to do this. What I'm saying is, is that when you respect everyone, that's the most important thing. And General Powell personified the essence of respecting everyone. All of us have gifts. He saw it. He knew it. And somebody else recognized that he had gifts. Thank you for that. And uh, General Timberlake, uh, can you chime in? I, I would just like to say that, that, that when, you, when you look at his career, you see that every time there was a bad situation, he mastered that situation and he got something positive out of it. So I, I would just only imagine, again, because I didn't know him personally, that he just had the ability to say, okay, this is negative. I'm going to find something positive about the situation and I'm going to keep driving forward. And then like, like General Stanley said, when, when you're leading people, when you're leading people and that's what you do for a living, then, then you find out very quickly that, hey, I don't know it all. I've got to depend on others to do that. And so I do depend on others. And as far as when they get down, when they get down and they need to be taken aside and you need to counsel them or talk to them, you use your own life experiences. You tell them where you've been and you show them a way out and you give them a positive and you get them back into the fight. You never give them a lot of sympathy, but you give them a heck of a lot of empathy. And when you do that, then you'll find that once you win that, that battle for their hearts and minds, they'll win every other battle for you. You don't have to do anything. Leadership becomes very easy then once you have them believing like you believe. It's interesting you say that, and, and that, that's uh, sage advice for any leader that's listening, um, and that's active leading, that's proactive leading, and uh, thank you both for, for that, uh, for those observations. Uh, William? I think it was after uh, Bill Clinton's presidency that uh, Colin Powell was, was probably um, at the highest point in his career as far as public opinion. And he was really being pushed to run for president. And of course, he he declined. But um, news reports all say his wife was a major influence in that. I, I think he may have uh, suggested that a couple of times also. And I firmly believe that had there been a President Powell, there would have been no Iraqi war. So do you think he had any... Um, 
any regrets uh, uh, about that decision? Uh, I, I don't know if that question is coming to me first, but um, I'm, I happen to have been working in the Pentagon um, with some of the people before the decision was made to go into Iraq. Um, Paul Wolfowitz uh, and some of the others. I mean, I literally was in the East Asia Pacific region when, uh, when things were being shaped up. And um, you never can tell. I mean, I always hesitate to do what they call that Monday morning quarterback on that, uh, that Sunday game because <laughs> it's, it's dangerous uh, because we just don't know what we don't know. I'll kind of stick there. Uh, but you did open up with the comment about um, uh, him not um, running for office because of his wife. I read the same things probably that you read. Um, and there's some things that weren't published um, in terms of um, some folks believe he wasn't Republican enough uh, were comments also coming out sort of like the groundwork, you know, some of the things happened at the, at the base, uh, you know, there were some challenges there, you know, I'll just kind of, so I kind of dodged your question a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was pretty smooth. I got to say, <laughs> you know, and uh, I, I got to tell you, uh, I, I too were read those same things on why he would or would not uh, run, run for office. But I, but I thought there was something else that was that was really interesting. And uh, when he was asked about the best leader he ever heard or he ever saw, and I think he attributed that to his wife. Yeah. And, and, and I think that was in his last interview uh, before his death. And he talked about his wife and how she's always counseled him. And she's always kind of and, and what you don't read, but what you kind of can assume and assumptions a bad word. But I will in this case is hey, uh, she gives pretty daggone good advice. And when I listen to it, I usually end up on the right side of right. Yeah. Well spoken. Well spoken. Uh, I, 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 I'm glad you mentioned uh, Mrs. Powell. Uh, her role, oftentimes the wife of a well-revered individual or someone who's lifted up in the public eye, the wife oftentimes, if, if there's a male that we're referring to, the wife oftentimes is sort of in the shadows, uh, that forgotten person. I, I don't think enough can be said about her perhaps quiet disposition or maybe her challenging him to to take some risk. We don't know their 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 personal inner dynamics, but uh, I can't if he were here today, I know that he would say that Alma has meant more to me through all these years. I mean, they were married, what, 59 years and she saw him at his high highest point and then at his lowest point. Can both of you gentlemen reflect on what it means to have? A good wife. Now I'm, now I'm throwing you both softballs here. <laughs> so this should not be very hard. So we'll start with uh, Dr. Stanley. <laughs> listen, listen. I'm I'm uh, I'm jumping on that grenade now with my whole. Life. <laughs> I, I do want you to know that uh, my wife and I celebrated 50 years uh, in June. Uh, we have been together, and um, congratulations. Thank you, and uh, I will I will say unequivocally that. Um, you know, she even has a couple of uh, her uh, passwords are like starting with earthworm because she's like the person likes to be behind the scene. Mm-hmm. You need to know that she is strong. Now, my wife, um, which um, I believe um, uh, William may know about, but, you know, my wife is a victim of a racially motivated shooting. So she was shot and paralyzed uh, in 1975. Um, after our daughter uh, was born. Our daughter was three months old when my wife was shot, uh, but a guy was shooting black targets of opportunity. 
Um, we were stationed at the Naval Academy at the time. I was a young Marine captain. I bring that out to say that, um, well, you know, we've been together now for a long time, even in college, you know, and I'll just say that um, her strength, who she is, is where I am. We're a team. And, um, you know, we're now at an age, of course, we're thinking about, okay, what's life going to be like if one of us goes first or whatever, but I'm just saying um, she is powerful. And um, we were on um, the Hour Power show uh, when I was on active duty, you know, when uh, Reverend Schuler and uh, uh, Reverend Schuler looks out and he says, my wife, he says, and it's taped, you can look at it and says, well, when you're at home, who's in charge? And she's shaking her head saying, nope. He's not the general in this house. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so every time I was promoted, she would promote one more star. Okay. I got to tell you um, again, General Stanley. And, and it's so funny because you say, okay, General Stanley or Dr. Stanley, but he was general before he's doctor. So now it's general Dr. Stanley. What a great dilemma to have in your own life. Well, you're a general and you're a doctor. But anyway, when General Stanley was on active duty, uh, all of us knew. Uh, especially those officers that 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 kind of at least read or talked to people, we kind of knew the story of of General Mrs. Stanley, and and she has served as an inspiration to all of us for so long, so so very long. And when I when I consider her situation, their situation, I I also look around to uh, all of the all the other spouses, and it doesn't have because now we're in 2021, so it's not just uh, uh, men married to women, but women married to men, and and people's significant others. And they play a very important role in your success. And, um, I, I, you know, I, I like the saying, they serve too. And I don't say that they necessarily serve and do what you do every day. And they may not put on the boots and they may not put on the camouflage utilities and, and go off to combat. But they definitely serve. They serve your family and they serve the community. And that's what I think we got to remember whenever we're talking about any of these individuals. You know, all this talk about strength. Uh, Roz is going to have to get a, a strong password now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'll tell him when we're finished here. <laughs> um, well, go ahead, Clarence. Not well. I was just um, gonna say thank you both for being so open about that, um, because you know we we typically do hear about how uh, an individual has excelled in, in their walk of life or in their uh, vocation, but they had to have support alongside them. And I know, you know, some people say behind, but no, a lot of times spouses are right along your side, uh, uh, encouraging you, helping to helping you to, to handle setbacks and challenges. And sometimes they even sometimes suffer in silence and they don't let you know that they're pressed in and depressed about situations, but uh, they always have that positive outlook and, and truly it's, it's really a gift. And, you know, um, General Stanley, you know, uh, a gift from God. So uh, I appreciate you both for sharing that. And I have uh, a wonderful wife who's by my side as well. So does William. Uh, she is the commandant of their home. And I will say that now. <laughs> but, uh, and and, I, and I, I can't let you pass without saying I too, because my wife will be listening. I have a wonderful wife <laughs> by my side. As a matter of fact, my wonderful wife's a retired Marine also. So I, I needed oh. to get that out there. All right. Well, so now that we've had the warm and fuzzies, let, let's get to something uh, that I've been dying to really talk about. Uh, uh, General Powell was a professed Republican. And, and you mentioned something, General Stanley, that 
perhaps a run for the office, or one of you gentlemen did, that perhaps he was not Republican enough. And what we see going on today, people would have gladly run to a Colin Powell for leadership. Now, along the way, he was in the Republican ranks, and during Republican conventions, presidential conventions, they would bring him out to let the Democrats know, hey, there's a person of color who's prominent in our party. And, you know, he would give a speech or give remarks, but he always kept his dignity, never became their lackey or anything. I mean, and, and people know when the remarks are just a little bit over the top, but he was always just well-balanced. But at one point, he decided to leave the Republican Party and transitioned away. And we all, we all know why, but that move probably came at a lot a big cost to him. And if you had conversations or know of what he went through when he did walk away from the Republican Party, if you could share that now, because then I want to transition into some rather pointed remarks he made about a former sitting president. But, but first, his role in the Republican Party and then you know, his departure from the Republican Party. Uh, General Stanley, we'll, we'll start with you. Well, of course, well, I will tell you, frankly, that talking about politics and what party you're in uh, had no bearing at all when we were in that uniform. Not mm-hmm. at all. I mean, it is like a non-issue. You are as you vote your conscience, you vote wherever you are. And then once you hang up the uniform, you can declare Republican, Democrat, you know, independent. But we never talked about that. And um, so I have no personal knowledge of anything like that, that, you know, as we went through it, I'll pass to Craig and then we'll get into your, the depth a little bit. Okay. And, and, and thanks, General Stanley. And, and I, I'll tell you, I, I don't know about his departure. I, I just know that to me, uh, the thing that I saw again is he didn't pander to the politics of color. He mm-hmm. didn't say that, hey, I'm this way and, and, and you got to like this party because I'm a black man or African-American man. I, mm-hmm. I didn't see that. I just saw him saying, hey, I'm an American first. And that's where it always starts and stops with him. And, 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 and I truly appreciate it. And like General Stanley said, we don't, there, there are no politics when it comes to being a Marine officer as far as, uh, well, I'm a Republican. We don't do that. It just doesn't happen. It goes against good order and discipline. It's not allowed to happen. And we simply don't do it. You know, G- General Powell was uh, so disciplined at staying away from politics while he was in uniform. I remember just before he retired, there was this big question about which party he was going to choose nobody knew Mm -hmm. yeah and to me that's a testament to him and like you said his discipline because if no one knew that meant he never gave an indication that he was affiliated with any party or not affiliated with any party yeah well it it hurts um well it's not it did not hurt it was insulting after his passing that uh and for his stance in support of taking the vaccine for COVID-19, that there were some in the Republican ranks that uh, used his passing and his position on vaccines to try to run out of the flagpole to see if uh, the base would, would just support that. And, and to me, that was, it was insulting uh, against not only the man, but his service to this country. Uh, and it's, it's like the proverbial trying to throw him up under the bus but I think that was smacked back rather quickly by, by, by public uh, consensus that, no, we're not going there in this instance. Right. Um, and I want to kind of transition to some remarks. You know, when he left, he was very critical 
of a former sitting president because he had, he had seen enough. And he let his intents be known. And then he did support and get behind uh, President Barack Obama. And that meant a lot. And that endorsement probably was one of the, the elements behind his, uh, his, his successful run for his, his first term. So do you gentlemen have any uh, comments on that? Well, I, I think that um, what you've just shared and, of course, what you've shared, we well, I know I was aware of anyway, and um, it speaks to the character of the individual. It's not some um, what I would call automaton moving lockstep because this is what the party says or something like that. I mean, a lot of times people think when you are in the military, it's all about following orders <laughs> and all of that. Um, you should know, and I'm going to say this publicly. I do not like following orders. I like to think. So, I mean, and so one of the parts about thinking is that you're out thinking the person you're working for in the chain of command, you're trying, you take initiative and things like that, but following orders is the last thing I wanted to do. And so, but you understand what the rules of the road are. You're able to work that and navigate that. But when I took the oath, I do solemnly swear to support the Constitution, defend the Constitution, you know, the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, bear true faith and allegiance to the same. I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office upon which I'm about to enter. That means there's some cognition going on here. I'm thinking all the time and I'm accountable for my actions. That's what General Powell was doing. That's what Secretary Powell was doing. That's what National Security Advisor Powell was doing, thinking all the time. This this automaton alignment with some party because that's we're all doing this now. And if you don't do what I say, do you're out. And as they call right. them, a rhino Republican in name only. That's right. ridiculous. It's ridiculous. For someone, to, for someone to suggest that that he was a rhino means that what I prefer is for you not to think what I prefer is for you to do everything I tell you as if you don't have a brain. And obviously. General Powell had a brain, and obviously General Powell could think for himself. And anybody that would believe otherwise probably needs to pick up a book, probably needs to study history a little bit and study something about the man before they make a statement like that. And then that individual that would make a statement like that, perhaps there comes a time at some point in your life you have to look in the mirror and say, did I really say that? Did I really, really say something like that? And reflect on that, and maybe it'll help you become a better person when you do that. Um, One thing I want to do, we're we're sort of coming on the final lap here, but for those who've just tuned in, uh, you've been listening to Engaging Conversation with two distinguished individuals who are both retired United States Marine Corps Major Generals. The first is Dr. Clifford Stanley, and the voice you just heard was uh, Craig Q. Timberlake, who's been no stranger to the Bring It On uh, broadcast. And we're talking about the, uh, we're reflecting and, and just uh, trying to just come to grips with the fact that someone who really meant a lot to a lot of people in America is gone now. And that, of course, is Secretary Colin Powell. Um, he was a tremendous, impactful individual. And one thing I want to transition to is something that we saw play out oh, maybe about a month and a half ago. And William, you recall, we've had conversations on air. I believe it was General Milley who consorted uh, or con- uh, had a conversation with his Chinese counterpart to warn them that no, we're not making plans or strides to have war with you. Um, No matter what saber rattling you hear, or no matter what bombastic comments are being made, 
Um, we, we honor our relationship with you. And I, and I was just thinking, and you just said, uh, Doc, Dr. Stanley, that you love to think. Yes. <laughs> um, and in that situation, you have an outgoing, well, not outgoing at the time, but somebody who's running for reelection. And there's always been this theory that, well, any active, any president in an active war doesn't lose that election, whatever. And that's, I don't buy into that, but nevertheless, it kind of seemed like the path we might be heading down. Um, not that we know the answer, but do you think uh, as a thinker that Colin Powell may have done the same thing? I like, uh, obviously that's, uh, you know, would involve conjecture, but I would say that um, because I knew General Powell and I know General Milley, I mean, literally General Milley briefed me when I was the undersecretary and he was Brigadier General Milley. So I kind of know how he thinks. I have a good idea how General Powell thinks because I've worked with him also. Uh, I would say there's definitely these, what I would call synapse. You know, those, those different parts of the cerebral hemisphere, the corpus callosum, they're connected. It seems like those things are working together. And so I would say probably yes, obviously we don't know, but that's where the integrity comes in. That's where your service component comes in. And that's when it's not about popularity. This is now a job. It's not just a job. It's like your profession. This is what, this is your ethos. This is who you are. And um, so I would like to think he would, uh, given the same circumstances, but it's still conjecture on my part. And I'd, I'd agree that it is conjecture, but I feel very comfortable making that conjecture. And the reason I do is because General Milley, and I do personally have worked for General Milley. As I said before, I haven't worked for, for General Powell, but I have worked for General Milley in Afghanistan. I worked for him in, in Afghanistan. And I will tell you, as the senior military advisor to the president of the United States, what General Milley did in my mind with that phone call was prevent what we call strategic miscalculation. And yeah. that's something he would do. All General Milley said was, hey, listen, we have a good handle on everything's going on and we're not ready right now. Well, no, we're not going to. Not, no, we're not ready, but we're not going to attack, to attack China. And that prevents strategic miscalculation. And that's all about statesmanship. That's all about statescraft. That, that's what they do. That's what they're supposed to do. That's exactly, not necessarily march beside the president when he is using a, a, a photo op in, in, in politics. That's not what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to help the president and everyone to prevent strategic miscalculation. That's, right. that's what General Milley did. I have no doubt that in my mind that General Powell would have done that because he understood about being the senior military advisor. He had already walked in those shoes. He had already done that and had risen above that as far as pay grade and rank and became the secretary of state. No doubt in my mind that he would have done that. Yes, it's conjecture, but I feel good on this one. Yeah, I agree. Can we take a minute and uh, pivot real quick? I want to ask a question that uh, I'm sure is, is uh, that applies to General Stanley, General Timberlake, and General Powell. And I would, I suspect all three of you would have the same answer. But during my military career, I was blessed to rise to the apex of the enlisted ranks. And, you know, every time that we saw a Black general officer, there was uh, a sense of pride and a sense of relief. Uh, the sense of relief was because, okay, here is uh, a senior officer. And one thing I know I don't have to worry about is um, 
is any any challenges uh, from a racial perspective. I knew I didn't have to deal with that. I never expected any special favors because uh, of a black man or a black woman. But there was just one that that other thing that you know, and it, it existed in the Marine Corps. But when when officers like you two were around, I knew that that was one thing I didn't have to deal with. But on the other hand, I do know that um, there was some who who did expect special treatment. How did you balance those two? If you know what I mean. Oh, I know exactly what you mean. I'm okay. smiling right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and, and General Timberlake will know this. I mean, all my Marines were green, okay? And, and the, the, yes. the special treatment, of course, I'm going to treat not only you, but the, the, the listening audience right now is special. And if I was able to even engage in a conversation with them, they're special because you're all special. And so that's where we treated, you know, all our Marines. But we're not going to do, I mean, to, to say that I'm going to, first of all, it's actually... Um, there's an actually integrity violation if I start reaching in and cronyism. You've heard of those words before. Things, yeah. I mean, although it's that's that's wrong to just because you happen to look like me or be from the same hometown. You might even be a family member. No way. We're talking about what's good for everybody. I know General Timberlake's gonna jump right on this, but I'm just telling you, uh, you're all special. I'll just leave it like that. And, and General Stanley, thank you very much. And, and yes, sir, I will jump on that one. And, and I think what you said is just so key. We treated our Marines special because they were special, the Marines. And, right. and, and we tell everybody that. And we sing our own songs and we sing our own praises and we sing them better than anybody else. And we got it. But we always come back to all Marines are green. You're all special. Every Marine is green. You're all special. And, they, and, and also, I think there's a very, very strong sense uh, in, in the uh, minority also community, general and mon- general community, general also community, as well as as uh, with the female officers in the Marine Corps, we don't want to become something that we fought against for so long. Yes. We don't want to treat people especially just based on the color of their skin or their ethnicity or their political belief or all that, because we felt like at times that was a detriment to our own careers. So we, 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 we didn't want to go down that road. And we were determined that we weren't going to go down that road. We called them as we saw it. And if the person was good, they were good. If they needed some adjustments, we tried to adjust them. And if they needed to move on and think of another career choice, then we happily tried to help them move on and to think of another career choice. And, and that's how we did that. And I, and I think, again, that we just did not want to become those things that we just totally disliked so much at the base of our hearts. That's right. I told you the answers would be the same. <laughs> um, General Stanley, back... Uh, during your time on uh, active duty, you were one of four black general officers in the Marine Corps. Right. Uh, general Timberlake, there are probably a couple of more uh, by the time you rose to the, to the rank of general. But do you have any idea what the numbers are, are now? Who is the highest ranking uh, black general in the Marine Corps? Yeah, um, um, Craig, you might know him better. Uh, he's a major general now, and he was a lieutenant when I was a uh, Lieutenant Colonel, I think. Um, he's an artillery officer. I'm trying to think of his name. Yes, sir. That's uh, Mike. Um, yeah, Langley. Yeah, Mike Langley. And, and as a matter of fact, sir, uh, Mike has been nominated for his third star. Oh, wow. And he's going to get Mar4Com. Mar- so, uh, and I am just so pleased to hear that. Uh, just the salt of the earth individual. 
just a superb example of a Marine officer. I hope everyone that was listening heard me say superb example of a Marine officer. I didn't say superb example of a, a black officer, a left-handed officer, an officer whose mother was born in Georgia. I said a Marine officer. He is just a perfect gentleman, a great general officer, and, and would go to combat and serve under him any day. Yes. Clarence. That's the highest, that's the highest accolade you could, you could pay to another individual that I would serve under him any day. Um, while we have talked about so much uh, and time is quickly getting away from us, uh, if you are in that position where you are talking to individuals um, uh, who are considering a career in the military, what are some things that you might tell them? Um, Dr. Stanley, we'll start with you. And then I have a final question for you, for the both of you. Well, first of all, I, I tell them that, you know, um, I say this with a smile, but come on in, the water's fine, uh, because I wish I could turn back the hands of time right now to even start over, um, if I knew then what I know now. Uh, <laughs> but I'm also saying that um, at the service, there's so many, I, I, you know, it's, I'm seeing this right now in the community where I live, and particularly in my church, and, you know, uh, some of our most talented, um, you know, uh, sometimes are steered in other directions, and I'm saying, wait a minute. I was working with people who were engineers and chemists and, you know, physicists. And I mean, all of the above were people that I was working with, excelling in where they are. But this opportunity to serve in, as a United States Marine, it's special. It's different. And we look for the best, the very best. And I'm going to say it like this for the little euphemism. We don't want wimps. Just leave it there. Well said. And General Timberlake. I, I, I'm not, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave the last one with him on that one. All right. Uh, my final question. Um, we know that there's a funeral service coming up. And if you both were in charge of planning such a service, who needs to be there to make comments? And uh, General Stanley, we'll start with you. Well, I think um, um, as I think about this, um, our current uh, Commander-in-Chief, for sure. Um, I would say that um, there would be others who actually served with him when in his administration, you know, President Bush. Um, and um, I think that there would be a host of folks who wore uniform. I plan to be there, not to make remarks, but as soon as I hear about it, uh, I personally plan to be there because I'm whatever I'm scheduled to do, I will unschedule to make sure I'm there. But I think our commander in chief, our, uh, our president should definitely be there. I'd agree. I'd agree. I think uh, the commander in chief being there lends a, a, an, an extra amount or an, another layer of dignity. Uh, and and uh, also, I agree that those in the, the former Bush administration that served around him, I think they should be there. And then I also would say that I, I would only hope, and, and I realize that the funerals are a private thing, and, and everybody has to grieve their own way, and, and people do their own ritual when it comes to funeral. But I would love to see the what I believe at a at, at an open ceremony, the outpouring of respect he will receive, and I think it'll be instructive for younger people and that generation of leaders that we have now to say this is what happens when a selfless servant leader is sent off. To where he's going next. This is what we see. And I, and I think that's important. I, I think uh, young kids should see it. I think there should be news breaking. I think 
the, 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 whatever's going on should stop and the United States should zoom in and just give him the respect that he deserves. I think it'd be very instructive for all of us. Thank you. I was uh, kind of curious, um, how has uh, General Powell's uh, example or his model affected the two of you, if at all, uh, on a personal level? Did you model any parts of your career after his style of leadership or, or maybe some of, the, some of his accomplishments even? Well, personally, um, um, I'm not sure it was modeling as much as it was um, sort of um, doing what I would call just the comparisons and, and thinking about it. So I don't know if it was a conscious process of modeling because even though I'm a few years behind him, there were a number of parallels. Like I mentioned the White House Fellows Program. I didn't know he was a White House Fellow until I became a White House Fellow. But I also um, was a member of ROCS um, early in my career. And that's an Army organization of officers, um, similar to the National Naval Officers Association, where folks get together, um, have to be African-American officers helping each other. And the Army had so many more um, African-American generals. Uh, when I was a Marine general, um, and General Timberlake, you know, knows this. I mean, even though I was number four, it was one at a time. So I was the only African-American general on active duty for at least a year until someone else was selected. And so I had General Powell to be able to look at, look to, read everything I could about him and, and anybody else I could to uh, be able to just learn uh, because that's just how it was. That's the way it was. And, you know, and, and William and, and Clarence both, you know, I, so I look at it and I say, OK, G- General Powell was commissioned in 58. General Stanley was commissioned in 69. And Col- I hope I didn't get that wrong, Dr. Stanley, 69 when you were commissioned. That's right. Right. And, and then I wasn't commissioned to 1984. So I had the benefit of looking at what they had gone through because I was there's a there's a separation there that I don't that those two don't necessarily have. But I have from those two. And I will tell you that, and I heard this saying the other day when I was listening to the news, uh, it said, um, if you can't see it, it's hard to think you can be it. And I had the, the, the good fortune of being able to see it. These two didn't necessarily have the good fortune of being able to see it, especially when you talk about African-American officers necessarily, definitely General Stanley and the Marine Corps, because there just weren't that many people. And he just couldn't look up and say, okay, it's so easy for me to see it and I can be it because I can't see it. I had that advantage when general stanley was a, a brigadier general and a major general i was a major i was a major and so i can look up and see it so if you ask me if i patterned my career after him no but did i learned a heck of a lot of lessons learned yeah because i could listen to him and they could tell me hey you don't need to do it like this don't do it the hard way knucklehead you can do it this way and it'll be a lot better for you and everybody else so i was able to pattern uh, at least I, I pick up a thought process or a way of doing things without necessarily just patterning my life or my career on theirs and, and then I, too, appreciate that. And that's when I said earlier to General Stanley, and I say again, because I know we're running out of time here, but we could be it because we could see it and we could see it and be it because of people like General Cliff Stanley. I'm going to have to go back and write down all of these uh, one liners that, that you both have been hurling uh, <laughs> to our listeners this evening, because I will start to use those uh, in our final moments. Uh, we'd be remiss if we did not. Um, talk about the impact that a, that a Secretary Powell may have had 
hopefully, and I think so positively, on a General Lloyd Austin. Uh, if you were to advise him as he is is leading the Pentagon and doing all these tremendous things, what, what would you say? Uh, and say in the spirit of a uh, Colin Powell, what would you share with him, uh, General Stanley? Well, I'm, I'm happy to know General Lloyd Austin very well, too. Since he, he, was, he, was, he was a three-star when I was in the Pentagon, and I was signed, one of the ones signing the papers to make him a four-star. So he has already stated, in fact, um, um, very clearly and very poignantly um, how General Powell was just as I described him, you know, about my relationship with him. Uh, and because they were both in the Army, um, you know, um, there's that natural um, kind of relationship. And so I know he listened to him. I know he was a mentor. Um, and because I know General Alston, I just know that that throughput is there, that, um, that, that, that General Powell had a big impact on his life. And during these flag officer gatherings I mentioned a while ago, the African-American officers get together once a year, flag officers and generals. General Alston was there. General Powell was there. I was there. What I'm saying is, is that we're sitting around the table talking. He said, so we know each other informally. And so those, that informal stuff that we sometimes take for granted or, you know, just don't really think about that much makes a big difference. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. I, I've been calling you uh, General Stanley for the past uh, 55 minutes. I'm going to call you Dr. Stanley now because um, you mentioned something a few minutes ago about a corpus callosum. Mm -hmm. If I, I want to thank you for expanding my vocabulary. If 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 I had known I had one of those before today, I would I would have gone to the doctor immediately. Well, well, I am. I'm, that's the part that joins our two cerebral hemispheres. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I looked it up. You know. So. All, all you had to do, all you had to do, was ask me, William. I would have told you that. William, and because we're coming to the end, I, I got to share this though. So so. So it, you're talking about expanding your vocabulary. So one, once when Major General Stanley was Major General and, and I was uh, a, a, a young major, he asked me a question about officer numbers in the United States Marine Corps. And the, the whole, the big context really doesn't matter. But anyway, he asked me a question. I gave him an answer. And he told me, you know, Timberlake, that was probably a Pavlovian reflex answer. <laughs> and so I had to go back. I, I went back. I went back and I told my office and I go, I think I know what he meant, but I don't know if he was insulting me or if he was complimenting me. <laughs> so I too had to expand my vocabulary that day. And everybody knows that you talk to Dr. Cliff Stanley. Uh, you better watch out for that. You may have to expand your vocabulary. Well, that, that Pavlovian uh, reflex, uh, we're, we're at the end of our show and, and William and I are both trained, uh, trained to sort of land the plane and um, but say with, say about 60 seconds each, if we there's something we have not addressed with both you gentlemen, take the opportunity now, please. And for our listening audience, if you want to leave them and impart upon them, perhaps even some some more vocabulary or some some sage wisdom as we sort of tune out. And uh, uh, Dr. Stanley, I'll start with you. Sure. Um, I, I think, the, I mean, as you were asking the question, I got goosebumps because the one word that came to my mind right away about just General Powell was the word love. I mean, love people, love his family, love his nation, you know, I mean, love. And that's the word that sticks in my mind the most. That's who he was. And that's the mark he left. And, and you know, I, I would say uh, when I look at his example, 
uh, I, the, the phrase that kind of comes to mind for me is servant leader. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and we talk a lot. We talk a whole lot about being servant leaders, but sometimes we just don't talk enough about being servant leaders. And he was a servant leader. And it, oh, it, and you read about him, it always seems like he was putting others before self. And if we can do that, if we all can do that, how much better a world will we have? Well, thank you both gentlemen for that. And um, we just want to thank retired United States Marine Corps, retired Major Generals, Dr. Clifford Stanley and Craig Q. Timberlake for joining us to share not only reflections on the life and impact of Secretary Colin Powell, but to broaden our vocabulary and broaden our horizons. <laughs> and uh, you could just hear the years of wisdom just pouring out from these two gentlemen. And no matter, no, no wonder I slept better at night knowing that you were protecting all of us. So thank you for both. I'll thank all three of you for your service. Honored to serve. Thank you for having us. Yes. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have any ideas for this program, we would love to hear what they are. Please send your emails to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share any and everything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. Our email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. Also, if you have an event or happening the African-American community should know about, please send the info directly to the Bring It On staff. Or if you want additional information about a calendar item that you've heard tonight, contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone. Our assistant producer is yours truly. Our consultant and WFHB News Department director is Cade Young. Program engineer is Chantal LaFontant. Original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I am William Hosea. And I'm Clarence Boone. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.